So I've mentioned this um, a few times here and there over the years. So if you're a veteran with us, you've probably heard me say something like this before. Um, But I'm going to say it again. Um, As a kid, we moved a lot. Um, (laughs) Some of you are like, you're still a kid. As a kid, we moved a lot. Uh, By the time I graduated from high school, I had been in something like eight schools in six different school districts in five cities in three states. Um, not as much moving as like a military kid, but, but a lot of moving. So one thing I quickly learned was that I had to be very adaptable in many kinds of social situations. I, I sort of used that as a survival technique uh, as a kid. Social adaptability became uh, kind of something I did well, kind of a social chameleon. And it served me well uh, for quite a time. I became kind of skilled at relating to all sorts of people, nerds, jocks, popular kids, unpopular kids, stoners, as we called them then. You know who I'm talking about. (laughs) Gen Xers. Uh, Black, Latino, Asian, white, all sorts of people, and in all sorts of contexts, at church, at home, at school, in the neighborhood where I lived. And in many ways, being adaptable adaptable like that socially kind of served me well. Um, It really did. It served me quite well in lots of ways. Uh, Some of you have probably experienced that kind of thing in your own life. Uh, And I'm not just making this up. I have real evidence for this I want to show you. For the senior superlatives in my high school yearbook, bring it on, AV people. This was me, best legs at Finneytown High School. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's the evidence. Um, I know some of you on the inside are thinking, what a dork. It's okay, you can name that out loud, it's all right. Um, You can tell I had just gotten braces and glasses because that's a smile that says, I know I look stupid, hurry up and take the picture. I showed a fellow staff member this, by the way, this morning, and they said, wow, that was you? You look so scrawny. (laughs) Uh, No, no, I had the best legs at Fanytown High School, thank you. So it kind of served me well in lots of ways. (laughs) Back to Jesus. It served me well in lots of ways. Uh, Being adaptable is something that helped me in lots of ways. But I began to find about that time, junior and senior year of high school, that even though that adaptability served me well in lots of ways, um, I began to to realize that all along as a kid, um, I had this gnawing sense that I didn't really know where I was from or where I belonged. Now, now don't get me wrong, I had a real strong sense of lots of fundamental things, like who my family was, what it meant to be a Wakefield. I I had a sense that God loved me. I had a sense he had a plan for me. Um, I came from parents who uh, loved me unconditionally. Those fundamentals were in place. But I began to realize, junior, senior year of high school, this real strong desire that I had to have a sense of place and belonging, like a place where I felt at home, with my people, like with, with my tribe, you know. I remember thinking as a kid um, that I wanted a place like Cheers. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Like a place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you... Thank you. Where, where you walk in they go, Norm! Or, or well, Scott, you know. <laughs> We're going to have a new policy, by the way, when I walk in. Uh, I want everybody in the church area, the church staff area to say, Scott. Strike that from the next service. (laughs) But don't you want that in your life, really? Like, don't you want this sense of these are my people, this is my place, I belong here, I matter here. 
The truth is, friends, that we all passionately long to belong. That's why we do something in uh, each service that, that may seem a little odd to some of you. Different people react differently to this. This is why we do greeting time on Sunday mornings <laughs> where we say something like, hey, we'd like you to turn to those around you and acknowledge them and say hi and, and greet one another. We want to acknowledge that we are part of a whole because we all long to belong. Now, now I realize, by the way, uh, as an aside, <laughs> that during that greeting time, different people respond differently. If you're like me and you're an extrovert, this greeting time is like a moment of joy. It's like, yes, like, I'm so glad to see you. No, really, I am so glad to see you. Can we hug and be best friends? Like, that's kind of how I feel about it on the inside, at least. But I also know that for some who are introverts among us, greeting time borders on a moment of terror. Please don't touch me. Please don't hug me. Please do not demand that I bond with you. (laughs) because I just might vomit or punch you in the face. Perhaps a little extreme. So I realize different people respond differently to that kind of thing that we do each Sunday, but there's a reason we do it. The reason we do it is because it's an acknowledgement that we are a part of a community of people who need to be recognized. It's a way for us to communicate that truth that, that we are a part of a whole here at FCC. We want to communicate, you have a name, you matter to God, you matter to us. That's what the body of Christ is. You have a name, you matter to God, you matter to us. <laughs> so come and hug and bond with us. Just kidding. You can just smile, shake hands, or grunt and nod. You don't have to, you know, be like me during greeting time. Truth is, all humans need to belong. All of us need to belong. And I want to say this as strongly as I can say it. We all need to sense that we are known and accepted. At the level of needing food and water, we all need to sense, to feel that we are known and loved. And when we meet Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, This is this real strong sense of belonging that they had. Adam and Eve, at the beginning of creation, they knew who they were, they knew why they existed, and they knew what they were supposed to do. They had everything they could ever need in perfect relationship with their creator. But as we know, the story goes, they decided to trade all of that in in order to do life their own way. Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation to seek their own wisdom as a rebellion against God's provision for them. And what was this perfect relationship with their creator was broken and messed up. What happened when they sinned is that their strong sense of belonging, knowing who they were, why they existed, what they were supposed to do, that kind of clarity became confusion. It became a confusion of a messed up sense of who am I, why am I here, and what am I to do? Which means they ended up where we all end up, this identity confusion. And let me state it as simply as I can. This is a universal human experience. Who am I, why am I here, and what am I supposed to do? When sin enters the picture and breaks the relationship between us and our creator, that's the identity confusion we begin to experience. So here's the thing. Here's why we're looking at Genesis 3. And I I want you to to please don't miss this amazing thing that we see here in Genesis 3. What came next 
right on the heels of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God's vision for their lives is this right here. We're going to put this, because this is where we're headed, we're going to put this on screen for you. A sense that God knew them and loved them completely. They were fully known and fully loved. Even at the moment, immediately after, they had rebelled against God and said, my vision's more important than your vision. This is a truth that Genesis tries to teach us. This is amazing truth that, te- that, that changes, honestly, everything for us. So that's where we're headed today. I want you to jump in with me at Genesis 3. We're going to read 8 through 10 real quick, and then we'll go through 8 with some great detail. It says this, verses 8 through 10, Genesis 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now look at that first half of verse 8 again. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. There are three things I want us to see here in the text that help us understand this idea of being fully known and fully loved. The first is this. The Bible communicates something that maybe is a little different than you thought about, but it's important for us to understand here. We're not going to spend a lot of time proving this. We can talk about this later if you'd like to. It's a real interesting concept. But here, here's the gist that you need to know. The first thing is this. God has built this garden as a place where he came to live with his creation. God has built this garden as a place where he came to live with his creation. <laughs> In other words, God didn't primarily build the garden for Adam and Eve. Which is to say he didn't primarily make the earth for you. (laughs) I know that sounds elementary, but if you don't get this from the first chapters of Genesis, you will misread a whole lot in the Bible after this. Let me say this a different way. The fact that the Bible is written to us does not mean that it is primarily about us. It tells us who we are. It instructs us why we exist. It gives us purpose for our lives. But the Bible is not about primarily you. It's written to us, but it is about God to reveal who he is to us. And the arc of scripture is very clear in this. His character and his purpose and his heart for the world is what it wants to communicate. And here he's created the heavens and the earth so that he could live with his creation. Now here's why this is important for us at this point. Here's why this is important. At this point in the narrative, in verse 8, let this sink in. God is already present in the garden. When we get to verse 8 a lot of times, we read this a different way. We misread verse 8. We come across these words and they say, they say they heard the sound of the God, Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And we think, oh, cool. (laughs) That's nice. God came down from heaven, from this other place, to visit Adam and Eve in the garden. But that's not actually what's going on here. God is already present in the garden. He hasn't left and gone elsewhere and then come back. He was here the whole time. So get this. When it says that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, immediately after, immediately after they had sinned for the first time in history and God already knew they had sinned, it is a picture right on the hills of them rebelling against him of God seeking intimate relationship with them. We, we get this straight from the text. Look at verse 8 for the second thing we need to notice. Look at verse 8 again. 
It says they heard the sound of the Lord. They heard the sound of the Lord God. Think about this for a second here. This was a sound they had heard before. Otherwise, how did they know it was the sound of the Lord God? They were familiar, obviously, with the sounds of animals and each other's voices. But this says this was the sound of the Lord God, apparently recognizable as the sound of God. Meaning he was here with them the whole time. Also notice, third thing here, is that it was the sound of the Lord God walking. Now, this could be many things. Maybe it was the sound of leaves rustling as he uh, came toward them. Maybe it was the sound of God you know, whistling as he walked in the garden toward them. We, we don't know for sure. Um, some think this might have been a pre-incarnate Jesus vision. I don't think this is a statement about God having legs. Um, what is significant about this is that the word walking carries the connotation of being a habitual activity. Um, it carries the connotation of having been a habitual activity that God had been doing regularly with them. So what is significant here is not the weird questions we'll ask, like, you know, what does, what does God sound like when he walks through the garden? <laughs> what is significant is that he was doing that with them on a regular basis. What is so cool about this is that this is a statement about God seeking to have time with his children. And it was something that he had been doing before. So if we take together where we are in the text so far, Adam and Eve recognized the sound of God and this idea that God was probably regularly taking strolls with them through the garden. Here's where we are at this point in the narrative, just to summarize where we are so far. Right on the heels, and we'll put this on screen, thank you, right on the heels of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. He is still seeking the intimate fellowship with them that he had always enjoyed. This is huge if you'll let this sink in. Because we think, and it's true, that sin disqualifies us from a relationship with God. But we think that means he doesn't want to be with us. Though sin disqualifies us from relationship with God, it doesn't mean he doesn't want relationship with us. Think about that for a bit because it's amazing. <laughs> God's perfect. He's holy. He can't, he, he can't be in relationship with imperfection. And so when we sin, it breaks that relationship for sure. But it doesn't mean God doesn't want to be with you. So here's the situation midway through verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, in the cool of the day, which had been a moment of excitement and relationship for them. The direct presence of God in their midst, taking a stroll with the creator of the universe, having conversation with him, had been a moment of enjoyment and excitement, but not this time. Keep reading verse 8. This time... The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Earlier, they hid from each other, but now they felt the need to hide from God. Earlier, it says the man and his wife were both naked, not ashamed. Now it says the man and his wife hid themselves. They are pictured here in 3.8 as children hiding in shame 
from their father because the relationship was broken. We've all experienced that, right? Like when you disobey, uh, I remember lots of times, when I disobeyed and mom and dad knew and I knew they knew, I would would go to them and, and hang my head in shame because I knew that I disappointed them. Right? You all remember that. <laughs> That's what this picture is here. That's what the picture is. But notice the response. God is pictured here as a gentle father who is seeking relationship with his children. He could have called them out in judgment. I mean, he is perfect. He is sinless. They deserved punishment. He knew this and they knew this. But notice how he approached them graciously. He approached them in a way that sought first to repair the relationship. The relationship was God's first priority. This is a huge lesson for us, if we will hear it. Just look at verse 9. But, as a contrast to Adam and Eve hiding, even though they wanted to run away, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Notice how God approaches this here. He he asked a question. He asked a question that drew him out from behind the tree rather than driving him away. I mean, God could have asked, "Uh, why are you hiding, Goober? Like I don't know you're behind the tree. I mean, he could have drawn attention to the absolute futility and silliness of trying to hide from him behind a tree, <laughs> right? He could, have, he, could have brought down, he could have brought down the full weight and wrath of his vengeance against their sin because they deserved it. And he could have said, I know absolutely what you did. But his first priority was to repair the relationship with the son and daughter of his This is huge if we'll let it be, if we'll see it, friends. John 10:3 is a cool little verse that summarizes this concept of, of God as a gentle father this way. It says, He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. He leads them out. Friends, <laughs> you are fully known and you are fully loved. This is hugely important truth for us to understand. It's important to know that we are fully known and fully loved because it speaks to our fear of becoming an outcast. It speaks to our fear of becoming an outcast. And that's a fear that the evil one preys upon, P-R-E-Y-S's upon, (laughs) in order to make us feel distant And like we don't belong. You see, one of the primary things the Bible teaches us about the devil is that he accuses us and lies to us about who we really are. It calls the devil the accuser. It says he's given us many names to remind us of our failures before God. And when these accusations sink in, when they marinate over many years in us, we begin to feel like we walk around and everybody can see that we have the sticker on that says, Hello, my name is accusation after accusation, liar, cheat, thief, glutton, 
gossip, alcoholic, addict, adulterer. But here's the, friends, this is the amazing thing about God. He knows all of that and loves you nonetheless and seeks first to have a relationship with you that he wants to repair because he knows you can't. And when you get that, it changes everything, friends. 1 John 3 is a super cool passage. 1 John 3, 19 to 21. I'm going to put this on screen for you here. It's a great little passage that encourages the children of God to live with confidence because they are fully known and fully loved. It says this, verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. By this we shall have confidence. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Verse 21 calls us by this new name, beloved. And there's a cool little feature about this word. It's not a word we use a lot nowadays, um, but there's a a cool little feature here that that, that talks about the fact that we are fully and completely loved by God. The first two letters there of beloved, B-E, is a prefix that means completely. Completely. In the face of the accusations that would otherwise condemn us to be broken in relationship with our Creator forever, We have the person of Jesus on the cross to live a perfect sinless life for us so that you can have a name of completely loved. There's a great quote. I think C.S. Lewis is the first to say this kind of thing that I know of. It's been close for me uh, for a number of years. It says this, The devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin but calls you by your name. The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, um, but calls you by your name. Friends, the truth of Scripture and the truth that's proven in the person of Jesus who died for us, even though the Father fully knows us, is that we are fully known and fully loved. Think of what an incredible gift it is that God knows us fully and yet loves us completely. When you understand what an amazing gift that is, (laughs) you understand that's a gift you can't just hoard. That's a gift that has to be given in the spirit in which it was given to us. Because friends, love is a gift we've been called to steward. Which is why we want this place, this church, this family of believers to be a community, a network of people who knows and loves one another with the same kind of fullness with which God knows and loves us. We want to be people individually and corporately that communicate that we know we are fully known and loved because we express it to others and they know that they are fully known and loved by God. You see, that's how you know. That's how you know you have found the family of God. You know you've found the family of God when others around you communicate your Creator fully knows and fully loves you. Because friends, listen, 
there are too many broken lives for us to waste time becoming another accusing voice in each other's heads. We must learn to love as we've been loved. Let's pray, friends.